So, Darian. Yes, Toby? Do you ever feel some anxiety? Uh, psh, never. Perhaps some anxiety of, of influence? Oh, psh, I am sui generis. <laughs> I, there has been no influence in my life. So, uh, there's this thing, there are studies called The Anxiety of Influence by this guy, Harold Bloom, that's all about how authors are all influenced by the authors that preceded, preceded them and have this sort of Oedipal struggle with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, now that we have this blockbuster podcast... Oh, psh, blown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could maybe talk a little bit about something preceding us, maybe? I mean, I know it never seems right. like anything precedes us. No, 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 we... It, well, so uh, my understanding is that there's some sort of idea that first you have your influences and then you trash your influences and then once you're successful you go back and talk about how they had such like, uh, they were so profoundly insightful. Yeah, and then you have them on your podcast. Uh, done. So, so, <laughs> so who, who would be kind of an interesting influence to have on our podcast? Hmm, someone who influenced two brothers. Maybe Robin Bates? Would you like to introduce him? Oh. Absolutely. So, without further ado, uh, on today's podcast, we have a doctor, professor, or no longer professor. Emeritus, I suppose. Professor Emeritus, (laughs) Dr. Robin Licker Bates. Welcome to the pod. Well, thank you. (laughs) So, uh, tonight was kind of a a big night. We are recording this after after a lovely event, um, a celebration of the career of our father, our respective father. He's the father of both of us, I think. Yeah, I hope so. And (laughs) uh, I thought maybe you could do a little interview with him about technology and literature, which really is like a a meaningful predecessor to this thing that we're doing now. Absolutely. So, yes, there's something that there's a secret I have to tell you about. Um, uh, Not only is he more handsome and more intelligent, he is also more Internet successful than us. (laughs) (laughs) No. Exactly. So uh, years ago, several years ago, five, six Seven. It was Obama's first year. So oh my God! It would have been oh nine. So Jesus. we're talking about nine years. Nine, nine, nine years. years ago. Uh, I don't know what the inspiration for it was, but somehow I got I got Dad started on a blog um, called uh, Better Living Through Beowulf, and this is now one of the most read. Esoteric literature blogs. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most read esoteric subject specific reader response blog on the internet. Exactly, but he's been writing it diligently five days a week, sometimes seven days a week. There was a period there you had like Sports Saturday and all this stuff. Um, and it's basically a, a blog about relating literature to life. And um, he's, he's, it's a, if, if you're in the world of literature and uh, the internet, apparently. And life. And life. <laughs> if you live and you're into literature, you, you might have come across his blog. So Better Living Through Beowulf. Uh, yes, in our interview, we're going to talk about, um, yeah, how the internet changed your scholarship. How it affected kind of your, your approach to literature, your understanding of literature, and, and how you talk about it. But um, before we say adieu... Um, I'll, this will just be uh, me and him, not because not because you're um, not because yeah. Toby's not. I'll be curled up experiencing the anxiety of influence. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> since you're both in the, I get to live on the outside in the business world. I, psh, he hasn't influenced me. If anything, he has sucked my few commercial aspects from me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, so we'll, we're going to sit down, have a chat, but just one big kind of congratulations to uh, Robin Bates. 37 years, professor of St. Mary's College of Maryland. If you're looking, for, if you have a kid, 16, 17 years old, start looking at it. It's a great place. They don't have a great, uh, the great Robin Bates there anymore. But uh, without further ado, um, yeah, Mazel Tov, congratulations. What do you say? Uh, way, way to go. <laughs> well, thank you. This is Darian Bates. And this is Dr. Tobias Wilson-Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots. It's the podcast about how we make our technology. And how our technology makes us. So... So I'm here today with uh, none other than Mr. Than Dr. Uh, Robin Bates, um, uh, personal relationship such that he's, he is my father. I feel like that is the, uh, I mean, what, is, what is that, uh, the, um, when, when, when somebody's writing an article and they say, yeah, well, full disclosure, so <laughs> yes. I don't get to be, Important. yes, exactly. Um, so what I, what I want to talk about today, so um, you've been a professor for, for a few years. A few years, 37. 37 30, 38, years? 38, actually. Oh, right, right, right. So 37 at St. Mary's College. Um, and, you know, about nine years ago, we determined that uh, you started a blog on English literature. And so there was this, at the time, obviously, I guess you'd been teaching for 28 years at that point. So teaching for 28 years, you'd you know, written scholarly articles, you've kind of followed this very traditional um, path uh, in terms of from an academic perspective, and then suddenly a blog. Right, yes. Um, talk a little bit about, um, so I helped you start that blog, and yet what I'm, what I'm interested in is, is why did you... Like, why did you actually do it? You don't take most of my advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I take a lot of your advice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So part of it, and this is actually not unusual for, uh, for faculty when they start reaching their uh, upper 50s and 60s, and that's the idea of becoming a public intellectual. And so when you're younger, you think in terms of your, your, your discipline and the colleagues in your discipline, but often when we get older, we say, well, how can I share the, my ideas with our broader public? And then since I teach at, a public, at Maryland's Public Honors College, um, there's this particular emphasis on public mission there. So what I suddenly realized when you introduced me to blogging was that this was a way that I could share my ideas, my love of literature, my, my feelings on the power of literature to to um, impact lives, I could share it with a much broader audience than I ever could get to if I just spoke to people in my other English professors. Mm -hmm. So I saw the, almost instantly, I saw the potential mm -hmm. of, of blogging. And once I started blogging, I said, <laughs> it, was, it, had, it was so much more exciting for me than writing to my own discipline mm -hmm. because... First of all, um, you write an academic article, it takes, you know, you spend a couple of years writing it perhaps, and then it takes two or three years to get out in publication, whereas with blogging you get instant feedback, 
and you're also reaching people who would never read an academic article. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and before I go into sort of the, the format itself, like, what did you, I mean, you weren't exactly, I mean, you know, you weren't exactly the early adopter. <laughs> this <laughs> is true, yes. <laughs> Kicking and screaming into the cyber age, yes. <laughs> right. So, I mean, what was your awareness, I think, up, up until that point, not just about blogging, but sort of internet communications in general. I think when we, the blogs had nine years ago blogs were were stuff you know people were already doing it certainly mm -hmm. but the um this whole web 2.0 concept you know if you think about web 1.0 as being the ability to publish something to the internet web 2.0 was the ability was essentially democratizing the ability for a lot of people to right. start publishing two things like it's it's sort of much more of the self-publishing and much more of that interactivity came through in kind of this web 2.0 concept um, so, I mean, go, before going into it, what was your perception of not just maybe the internet as a whole, but kind of how one, <laughs> how one engages on that medium? I, I remember somebody saying, this was way back in the 1990s, I think, um, and what I thought was, you know, I thought was profound at the time, and now I realize that it was fairly short-sighted, but the comment was that the internet was a mile wide and an inch deep. Hmm. <laughs> of course, this was before you were able to get whole libraries mm -hmm. on the blog where you're able to, you know, get full texts of, uh, of, of works mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And now, of course, it's, it's an essential tool for anybody doing research. So, but at the beginning, it seemed more like a fad rather than, I didn't, I, I didn't see the potential of it mm -hmm. at, at the time. Now, of course, you... I, I, I use it multiple times a day right before I go into a class and I need to get, I'm teaching Sir Philip Sidney or I'm teaching... Oh, not, not to Google <laughs> your students right. before you go into your... <laughs> I, I, will, I will, you know, just to remind myself of dates or mm -hmm. certain historical events or, you know, situate myself, I use it constantly for, mm -hmm. to, to enhance my teaching and, you know, when, when I'm blogging, to make sure that certain facts are correct and I will so I, I turn to it over and over again mm -hmm. so it's it has become indispensable well do you remember the first I don't know if you've gone back and read your first blog post because you now have nine years of like <laughs> yes. history um, <laughs> um, legacy and uh, and your embarrassments just out there mm -hmm. um, have you gone back and read your first post I have what do you so what yeah what do you th what do you remember about writing them and what do you see now in what you wrote the the difference is back then i thought well you could just kind of put anything down explore ideas ramble in all kinds of ways mm -hmm. and i so i i was a little bit self-indulgent early mm -hmm. on uh, with my use of asides and and digressions and so on and so forth i've become more disciplined mm -hmm. um, now i see my blog posts as um, not the kind of essays that you would spend days writing because I don't have time. Sometimes I only have a couple of hours to write a, a post, but, um, but, um, shorter, mm -hmm. uh, more to the point, um, cutting out extraneous, extraneous stuff and having, so having the needs of the reader and of, of, uh, more focus in mind. Mm -hmm. So that's one way that has changed over the years. I mean, I think the internet is a place of self-indulgence. <laughs> it, it is. And I went to, and it's probably 
important to say that I'm not putting down academic writing here at mm -hmm. all, because the problem with the internet, including with my essays, is that um, they don't go through refereeing. Right. They they aren't they aren't. The, what's what's so powerful about an academic article is that you have to go to the top people in the field and they have to sign off on it. Mm -hmm. And if there are any problems with it, they will they will call you out right. in no uncertain terms. Right. They they are ruthless. Whereas blog, I can put any all kinds of things down, and um, I'm coming from my expertise as a professor, but I'm not being judged. Right. Or I don't. Have no, to you're definitely judged. being judged. I'm being judged. <laughs> <laughs> you're not being. You may not be formally adjudicated, that's but we're right. all judging you. That's right. And, and that's so. That's that's um, something that readers of blogs should be aware. Of. Right. Well, that's what's one of the interesting things about it is because you come out of this very traditional academic space, and I don't think of you as being. You know, I, when when I was working in New York, I would work with a lot of academics. Um, at times on various mm -hmm. projects who had a much more of a kind of a, a fashion forward view of the internet and things like that. They mm -hmm. really, they were kind of early adopters. They sort of, they were very, they oriented their scholarship and their activities around kind of, kind of just the medium of, of modern communications. And you're not that. You, you, I don't. I don't mean that in the sense of that no, you don't. This is true. Yes. No, but but even your scholarship. I mean, you are a 17th century. Mm -hmm. You're 17th century. 18th century, 18th century scholar. Yeah. Um, 18th century scholar. You, um, you know, you're still very much a reader of of printed books. Mm -hmm. You're you're very much. Yes. And and a lot of your scholarship and your thinking still orients around. I mean, you were a tenure professor. They don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they you're. You're not you're not trying to burn down the establishment. You're not exactly you're not you're not laying waste to the traditional norms of scholarship. This is true. And yet, so and yet, you spend nine years and counting um, doing a blog that is that is outside the kind of scholarly norms. I right. mean, I mean, nine years of I mean, sometimes five you know five to seven days a week of writing. Right. You know. 400 to a thousand words somewhere in the, you know, somewhere in that range, right? In terms right. of your length, mm -hmm. this is probably, you've probably written more on your blog than you've written in any other medium. <laughs> I figure I've written about a million words by now. So. Right. Right. And other than, I guess, I mean, you haven't written anywhere else as much as you've written on your blog. So <laughs> how, how do you, like, how do you kind of balance kind of those, almost like those two different sides of your scholarship on the one hand, your biggest output mm -hmm. in your life has been in a medium that is kind of alternative to the scholarly norms. Right. And at the same time, you, you fall into a fairly traditional scholarly um, history uh, uh, paradigm. Uh -huh. Well, I have to say, first of all, that my blog is not scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very well aware of that. So I have, since I write, you know, a daily essay, for this blog, I don't have time to do the kind of research into the field. So mm. when, I, when suddenly, basically the way the blog works is I look at what's going on in the world, I look at what's going on in my life, and then some work of literature which I feel is relevant mm -hmm. to that issue or that helps one understand things a little bit better, I will um, blog on it. But, you know, so, so sometimes I'm writing about 
uh, medieval literature, sometimes Renaissance literature, sometimes literature that was written yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and but if I were writing an academic article, I would go into the go into the conversation about that particular mm-hmm. work. I don't have time right. to go into that. Do you feel like people understand that it's not scholarship, or do you feel like there's a possibility of people mistaking one for the other? Are you are you altering the view of what scholarship is, or maybe even some of the norms of scholarship in doing this? Hmm. I that I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. I guess I'm not. That's I'm not, not meant to be a gotcha question, there. <laughs> right. Here, here's here's what I know. So I, I can tell. So when I write about a work like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite favorite works, and I must have written on it a dozen times over the over the last last nine years, and I find it a has profound things to say about the nature of grieving, the, uh, the nature of death, the relationship of civilization and nature of pagan. Uh, religions to Christian religion and things like that. And at different times, I've written on those different um, dimensions of it. Um, my writing is much more accessible to general readers than the academic scholarship on those works. Mm-hmm. Um, I am informed by the academic scholarship. So since I've been reading the scholarship and um, teach for so many times, but it's not academic scholarship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's a part of me that sees a, sort of an analogy to the difference between what we've started to think of as, you know, in this 24-hour news cycle of what we started to think of as news, which in most right. cases isn't news. In most cases, what we're reading as news is actually commentary, right? That's an excellent point. You know, it's an excellent analogy, actually. Right. And, and news news is primarily the is the primary coverage which to this mm-hmm. day i think there was there was a nice piece i think that john oliver did a while ago about um just the kind of the food chain of news right and that so much of news is actually still being covered by newspapers right that the that the primary news is yes. being is being kind of uncovered is being written is being all the interviews are being done all the all the research all the you know, whatever the, whatever the hard work to really generate the news is, mm-hmm. and that the rest of the news pyramid essentially is built on that foundation of factual information that is uncovered by papers, and then everything else starts layering on, you know, you know, media, you know, context or commentary or, you know, response, you know, or just, just out-and-out opinion right. at some point. Um, and I'm interested, you know, from your perspective, coming from, you know, you've done actual scholarship. It's not like you, this is, it's not like you were without that background, right. but kind of how much as this, as you've used this new medium kind of in the, in something that is, I don't, I, I'm going to say the term pseudo scholarship. I don't mean to kind of call it pseudo scholarship in a, in a, in a derogatory way, but in the sort of like, it's like you're, you're working at that other level of informational yes. hierarchy. Um, like, have you felt it? What do you feel like that relationship is? Because sometimes you feel like newspapers are resentful of, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the commentariat. Right. Um, yeah. Because they're like, no, we're doing the real thing and you're, yes. you're poaching our <laughs> real thing. Yes. Do you feel like that there's a tension there in scholarship about, I mean, I don't know that as many people are using kind of core scholarship to then turn it into popular mm-hmm. discourse, but... Right. but I, I love that parallel. That's mm-hmm. absolutely true. It's like, you know, the the... That the academic scholars are like the gumshoe reporter. Right? Mm-hmm. The very fact that I have a 
a good text and a good translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, mm -hmm. I couldn't do my punditry, mm -hmm. if you will, without the scholars who have gone in and, you mm -hmm. know, and, and produced that. And then the fact that I'm able to talk so easily about certain issues is because I've read the scholarship on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and I'm able to plug into that. So yes, but I'm, so perhaps I'm a little bit like those, those um, reporters who are now pundits. Right. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're, they're no longer, they're no longer, you know, out looking for sources. Mm -hmm. They're no longer doing the really hard work right. of, of reporting. That's, um, that's for the children. <laughs> that's for the cub reporters. <laughs> that's for the cub reporters. Exactly. You know, you want, you want your column now and you're, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I, but I, Believe me, I am deeply grateful to the work that they do. The, the, it's, we sometimes talk about entering uh, the discourse that you're entering into. So academics have a particular discourse and you are talking to the community of scholars who have come before you. It's a very refined discourse. It's hard sometimes for an outsider to come into that because they don't know what the issues are. It seems to be so refined. I'm taking one step back now that I've absorbed a certain amount of that discourse and said, okay, how can I make this discourse open to a general public, which means that we're not going to get into some of the esoteric back and mm -hmm. forth of, of academics. I'm going to figure out what I think is readers need the most and are interested in the most. Mm -hmm. And I'll take those particular issues and communicate communicate those in my blog. Yeah. And I should say, I mean, even as I, I don't mean to, um, and I don't think you took it this way, but I don't mean to, um, diminish actually the amount of work it takes simply to do the blog. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, yeah. especially blogs were sort of hot right around the time that you started doing it. And I can Im imagine the number of blogs that started and stopped in the period of time in which you've been doing it. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a daily discipline, a daily, a daily blog of 500 to 300 to a thousand words, somewhere in that mm -hmm. range is, I mean, that's, I mean, it's like journaling, like nobody, right. it's, it doesn't journaling doesn't require the, uh, the highest standards of writing, but you got to do it every day. And there's something, um, you know, there's a discipline in that. Right. And so what I'm kind of interested in is, is, well, how does it, how did the technology, how did the medium of blogging itself kind of, I wouldn't say alter your scholarship, because as you said, it's not really scholarship, but kind of altered your thinking as a scholar and as an academic. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it means that you're, well, you're right into a community outside academe, and it means that you've got to think of, of what people, what a broader public needs. You know, if, if my, one of my major goals, and this is my teaching goal, I do it with my teacher, my students too, is they say, well, why should we care about old literature? Now, is, is old literature more than just some kind of dusty artifact? Mm -hmm. you know, in a museum that you go and you admire, but it has nothing to do with your life. Now, I've seen works over and over light up my students mm -hmm. and um, help them with profound issues in their life. So my, the whole purpose of my blog is to convince the world, <laughs> or whoever is willing to read, the, read these essays, that literature is still absolutely vital mm -hmm. to people's lives. So that's, that's my mission mm -hmm. to it. And so it's like taking literature, okay, English professors don't have to be convinced of this, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the rest of the world does. Mm -hmm. um, and so I need to speak to the rest of the world. 
So yeah. it, it just means shaping my, um, I have far, uh, my, my sentences are shorter, mm -hmm. my paragraphs are shorter. Mm. <laughs> I, have, I write in a whole different way. In fact, I had to train myself to stop writing like an academic and start writing more like a journalist. Mm -hmm. um, really, my major, I, I track the kinds of people who read my blog mm. and my major readers... That sounds very Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> do, you, do you do psychographics on them? <laughs> Google Analytics. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's very rudimentary right. surveying. <laughs> exactly. But, um, and then I just notice the kind of people who write back. Mm -hmm. And I suspect, I'm pretty sure that my major readership is a readership I would actually most want, which is high school English teachers. Hmm. Um, because high school English teachers who are trying to make the case to their students that it's worthwhile reading Sir Gawain and the Green Knight or mm -hmm. Shakespeare's plays or something like that, and, and they don't have a lot of, lot of time. Mm -hmm. High school English teachers are some of the most overworked people in the planet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... Um, but so I can, um, but if I can reach them and make that, make it that, oh, I can teach Beowulf by plugging into uh, helping my students understand the angers they feel in certain situations. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly they have an extra tool, classroom tool that they can use to make, um, get their students excited about a work mm -hmm. like that. Do you feel like, I mean, this feel, I mean, again, knowing, knowing you, and <laughs> from a uh, kind of a lifetime of this, it, it, I remember coming out of like films, you know, you know, we would go watch like All Dogs Go to Heaven or something when I was <laughs> a small kid or something. And every movie we came out of, it would be like, which was your favorite character? What are you like? You're doing this like intense reader response theory analysis on us as we are like four year olds walking. I apologize to you now. I should also talk about the papers that we would get back in first grade that you had marked up for us. <laughs> writing, writing little like papers with you where we'd get back red inked uh, <laughs> markup <laughs> or whatever ink you had next to you. I never use red ink. <laughs> but uh, this idea of there seems like there's something really aligned with your, if not your scholarly approach, your scholarly theory in a way mm -hmm. about the, the vitality of literature for, to people. Like mm -hmm. I, it, your literary um, upbringing, such as it is, it, it hasn't seemed so much about this kind of um, literature on a, on a, kind of an ivory, in an ivory tower kind right, of setting, right. it seems like there's something, there's something very um, organic about how you like to view literature in the world. Mm -hmm. And this does seem like there's, there's, there's a way in which you're intensely trying to see literature back into the world in these accessible dollops. That's very true. I mean, as I tell my students sometimes, you know, you know, when, when a, uh, when a, a bard or a scop, you know, recited Beowulf to a hall full of hall full of warriors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like these warriors were doing, you know, literary analysis mm -hmm. on this. I mean, it was pure, for pure entertainment. I, I tell my students, Beowulf, um, listening to Beowulf, it would have been more frightening than the scariest movie you ever saw. Mm -hmm. 
They didn't have a lot to do back then. Right. <laughs> and they were all drinking a lot of mead. You're, yeah, you're drinking a lot of mead. You're in a darkened hall. Say you, you're, you're kind of a poor warrior, so you're in the back of the hall. You're not near to the fire. <laughs> and suddenly you're hearing these depictions of monsters, which in retrospect, we can say these monsters are embodiments of what would have been that society's deepest fears. Uh, fears of uh, dragon kings, uh, fears of disaffected warriors or warriors with PTSD. I think Grendel might be a PTSD-struck <laughs> warrior. Mm. And um, so suddenly they are getting monsters which go to their deepest fears. And those are terrifying. Those must have been terrifying to listen to. So when scholarship comes along, there's, it, it, there's all kinds of debates within Beowulf scholarship about you know, if was it an oral, was it a written epic, was it, you know, what century was it, mm -hmm. um, debates over certain words and what they mean, and so on and so forth. Um, and those are, as I say, vital con academic conversations to have. But you don't want to lose the fact that Beowulf was written for entertainment, mm -hmm. that it went straight to the bloodstream mm -hmm. in all kinds of ways, and that it still goes to the bloodstream. I still have students who, who, are, who find are profoundly moved by images, this image or that image in Beowulf. And so by going to a more popular way of doing it and mm -hmm. leaving a more scholarly approach, I'm opening up that side of the literature. Yeah. It's interesting. I think about the way that that literature can be consumed at these different levels, and yet that the kind of the highest, most esoteric way of consuming literature has started to become the perceived as the proper way, and that that is the way that is that somehow filters down into um, kind of the teaching orthodoxy at, at fairly young young ages. Mm -hmm. I, I think about, um, and I don't know, I don't know how much this bears true to life, but I think about that that famous scene in in Dead Poets Society. <laughs> where they start off, they start off talking about the rhyme and meter. I think the beginning of the, I forget the the I forget the the oh, author's yes. name, J. Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they 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 do it on a, a Cartesian plane. You know, it's uh, style and substance, and you know, whichever works have the most style and the most substance right. have the highest. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> X Y axis. Right. 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 <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Drawing, drawing graphs of it, so right? That, that's how you know Shakespeare is greater than Beowulf because he's got a higher you style know. and substance, <laughs> right? And but but there's also a way in which anytime you take, but you need that kind of scholarship as well to say that this is actually a discipline that's worth preserving. This right. is a high art. Mm -hmm. This is a this is mm -hmm. a um, this this is something that we that should be in our heritage, right? And I think there's this way in which when we try to attach things to heritage, it stops becoming something that is that much fun. Mm -hmm. As I say, uh, dusty artifacts in a museum. Right. And that's not how you should see older literature. Yeah. Well, so, you know, as we're uh, kind of kind of come up here, you know, Toby and I have this, uh, as I think you've listened to a podcast or two, Toby and I have this... Um, a thing at the end of every podcast where we, we do Apocalypse or Utopia. It's, oh, a one, yes. it's a one to ten scale, which which is the exact amount of sophistication, the exact amount of nuance that we like to give to our uh, our own personal scholarship. So I'm, you know, Toby and I are going to talk about this this interview afterwards. So we'll we'll judge you then. 
But in the meantime, I want to invite you to, uh, to think about this 1 to 10 scale of apocalypse or utopia, with 1 being apocalypse, 10 being utopia. And I want to bring up this, this, the question around digital scholarship. So you're, so this, this idea of what is the internet, you know, so you've, you've, you've taken this, you know, lifetime of scholarship and really used this, this web channel, this mm -hmm. internet channel as a way to do it. And in some ways it's really helped you broaden your reach. It's made it more accessible. On the other hand, as you said, like, like in news, sometimes we start mistaking, um, right. Right. you know, we start mistaking commentary for news. Um, and so there's this, there's this. This tension there. So I'm interested in, in this question of, of as we start having maybe more access to self-published information rather than going through these, right. these kind of dusty old, you know, gatekeeper right. kind of things. Kind of where do you feel on a one to ten, you know, apocalypse to utopia scale? I've tried to now make it as complicated a thing as is. Where would you go? Because since we have fewer gatekeepers, yeah, you, 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 there are very few people who are checking your blog before it goes up. Right, <laughs> <laughs> as in no one. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like this is brilliant. Yes, I think I'd probably put this on a seven. All right, utopia. all right, utopia. <laughs> no, so the not not higher because there are a few of those reservations that we've just talked about. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, and when you totally democratize, if, if if you will, scholarship, then if you if you if you totally do away with gatekeepers, then you really do have have anarchy. Right, right. You start um, debating over basic facts. Mm -hmm. But but that being said. Um, for for scholars to kind of move out of their kind of cloistered halls and find ways to speak to a broader audience, um, I think is absolutely invaluable. Hmm. So I, I think I'd say seven. All right. Well, that's that sounds enthusiastic enough that I suspect you will keep doing your blog. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> right now, now that you are retiring from St. Mary's College, you'll have more time than ever to do your blog once you finish the last. Yeah, of the, the paper one thing grade. I'll be able to do now that I'm retiring is I'll actually be able to do a little bit more research, mm. so that I won't be speaking quite off the top of my head quite so your, as much. Your blog, your blog will now be twenty percent more substantive and twenty percent right. less uh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I can keep I can keep it dramatic, but. When sometimes when I'm I'm writing on a work I've never written on before and I know very little about the author, mm -hmm. other than what I can pick up on a quick uh, quick Google search, um, I'm I'm sometimes a little, I'm suspicious of myself. Mm -hmm. and I feel like I I would love to have more time to ground some of these essays a little bit more than you I should, can do. You're embracing your inner marketer. You know, <laughs> you have the bare minimum of substance behind what you're doing. It's great. It's all, it's all sizzle, no steak. There you go. Um, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, if it, Anybody who's interested in your blog, it's betterlivingthroughbeowulf.com. That's it. That's Beowulf, B-E-O-W-U-L-F. That's correct. That's right. Not Beowulf. W-U-L-F, <laughs> yes. That's right. Although you probably should own both URLs. Yeah. Oh. It, it means bear wolf if you want to know. So. I don't know that anybody wanted to know. <laughs> Ah, well, thank you so much. Again, congratulations. And uh, yeah, I, I, we look forward to following your blog for many years to come. Are you going to keep it up? I'm going to keep it up. I, as I say, one of the nice things about retirement is that I, it's suddenly not going to be competing with essay grading and nice. other activities. I'll be able to put actually more work. More, nice. more Mom will be really glad to know that you're going to have be even less available for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has described herself as a blog widow upon occasion. <laughs>
Well, I like to be, I, we're something of a blog orphans yeah. at times. Maybe, given that, maybe I should drop my rating a little bit. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you again. And uh, yeah, Toby and I are now going to opine on you. All right, well, good. <laughs> opine away. All right. All right, love you, Dad. Love you, too, kid. All right, bye. All right, so, th- so there's the old man. Yeah, are, uh... <laughs> not getting any younger. <laughs> uh, no, 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 he's not. Um, although, although I will say, having fewer papers to grade might very well be a, a fountain of youth yeah. for that man. <laughs> that's true. That's I, true. I feel like he is—he is eyeing retirement, like you know, with like this uh, kind of with bated breath. I f- he is—he—he he is like his—he's like his tennis bag ready and his blog fingers ready. Yeah, he's re- that guy is ready to be blogging and playing tennis on a daily basis. Yeah, like four to six hours a day. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure which of his ligaments or joints will need to be replaced first, um, but uh, I, I look forward to hearing all about them um, on on uh, better living through Beowulf. So, so yeah. So, so, so that is a that is a positive. That is a man that is positive about the the world of the the internet and kind of web scholarship um again recognizing that you know he he claims it's not scholarship when you blog <laughs> without anybody uh yeah that's, peer reviewing that's, it. that's like when you hear somebody say like i'm not i'm not a politician you're like you're okay, right that's a thing politicians <laughs> say. that's right nice i like it so yeah so 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 what i'm you know where where are you on this? Because you know you're earlier in your career. You're in the world where you're still you're on the other end of the whole uh, creating uh, creating scholarship. Where you know you're actually doing the tough work. He's he's part of that commentariat that sits atop and is like, all right, feed me some more uh, some more uh, you know primary research. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think I'd, I'd probably be like probably around a five. That hmm. okay? Explain your your equivocation. Yeah, I I would say at least where I am right now and, and what I do right now, my senses as a researcher, and, and this may be just as disingenuous. Uh, <laughs> as, <laughs> just as disingenuous as implying that his response was disingenuous. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, but but by saying it, I become ingenuous. <laughs> oh. But... Um, <laughs> I actually, I mean, I think artists, I think authors, I think creators, I think musicians, I think these people change the world and and lead towards, you know, apocalypse or utopia style scenarios. I actually don't think critics and scholars do that. Um, Mm. I I think what we do is it's it's almost more like uh, we just reveal that a thing has happened, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and you sort of after the fact allow allowed to be interesting conversation or allow that model to potentially be picked up and used again in other situations um, such that, you know, once there is a atrocity or a speculation of an atrocity, you can begin to think about what that looks like. But that's different from like an apocalypse utopia thing. I actually think it's very neutral Um, and it's not necessarily content. It's not, it's not necessarily an ethical behavior. I don't think that the Bible has been used for extreme evil and the Bible has been used for amazing good. Like I, uh, and, and analyzing that doesn't make it any less evil or any more good. Right. So that's my, that (laughs) I have to, I I love my career. (laughs) Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you're you're saying you're not gonna leave uh, academia anytime soon? Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> I will continue to not influence the way the world operates. <laughs> right. Well. So this is this is I guess my feeling, which is you know, to boil down what I think of scholarship. Um, yikes. That's a nice way to start. Um, <laughs> yeah, and piling on. Dad, Dad thought he'd escaped our Oedipal podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This sponsorship. This, this this podcast has been sponsored by Killing Your Father. Yeah, exactly um, right. No, I, so it's interesting, you know, like when when something big happens in the world, or when something when you re, when you go watch a movie, you know, one of my favorite things about Roger Ebert, the uh, the the late film critic, was. When I would go watch a movie and say, oh, man, that movie was really interesting. Like, is it good or bad? Like that movie, I felt that way about um, Cloud Atlas. I watched the movie Cloud Atlas uh, about uh, six months ago. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know whether that, I, I don't know whether that movie was good or bad. I watched the whole thing and it was a long one. So <laughs> I guess it was. And so then I was like, oh, what did Roger Ebert think about it? Because he was still alive at the time. Roger Ebert gave it four stars. So I'm oh. like, I guess it was a good movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And and my point is is that when something happens in the world, one of the I think one of the values of Twitter and kind of social media in general is when something happens in the world, everyone is trying to sort out a couple things: what are the facts, and then also how to feel about it. And I think the battle that's happening, I think, in social media and in culture right now is essentially whose whose voice are you listening to when you're trying to figure out how you're going to ultimately come down on any particular thing mm-hmm. and sc- scholarship in a in a slow moving cultural world scholarship has traditionally been that legitimizer of the thing that you feel but but aren't sure really whether you should feel that way or not mm-hmm. and scholarship has largely seeded the ground simply for for pacing reasons that that getting keeping up with the pace of kind of contemporary culture is is so hard because it happens so fast when and it's so hard when you have you know peers to review something and you have all the gatekeepers and as a result the people who end up becoming the de facto like you know, stamps on how you should feel about something aren't necessarily the people who are particularly qualified for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the idea of scholars, even if we're saying that scholarship hasn't isn't going to be entering kind of this kind of web space because scholarship is still going to exist in this other kind of um, timeline that is maybe necessary in order to legitimize that scholarship, but that scholars themselves, once they've done their time, in prison and grading papers, I assume, is how you view it. <laughs> yep. um, once scholars have essentially been verified and validated through these old systems, can move into this new, these new wavelengths and provide kind of feedback that is not just kind of totally buzzy, that provides this other kind of context, I think is really important. I think, um, you know, I see, even though you are still in the earlier stages of your career or mid-stages of your career, I feel like that's that's the reason why I still let you onto this podcast. <laughs> is you you add credibility and legitimacy to my ramblings. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
No, no, but you know, all kidding aside, I, so I think it's really important that scholars are willing to enter this space, and that the blog is not a blog is not below scholars. Um, and I think you know, I think Dad's doing interesting things with that, and I think he's bringing some kind of kind of high art or high thinking to what would otherwise might be a fairly facile space if people like Dad weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm big on it. I mean, again, recognizing that we still got to fund, you know, research universities, and we've still got to fund kind of the humanities, and you know, like blogs do not make up for just basic public funding of the humanities. Um, but yeah, no, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a. Uh, I'm gonna be even more enthusiastic than the man has written maybe a million words on essentially an electronic medium that could vanish. Um, back up your uh, pod. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give it an eight. All right. Well, I think we. I I think we've solved it. And 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 no negative scores for once. Yeah. No. I think we look. I mean, if it if it allows him to move into retirement without the crushing sense of depression that a lot of scholars <laughs> get once they hang up their uh, like go all for it. Go to it, Dad. Yeah. Love you, Dad. Love you, Dad. All right. Talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you later, man. Bye. Bye.